This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Well, as I record this, the world continues to be in turmoil because of the COVID-19 virus that's sweeping around the globe. Much has been communicated to the church in recent days, words of comfort to help people process and deal with the difficulties that they face. Today, I don't want to comfort you in the sense of making you more comfortable. I think that may be the wrong tack for us to take right now as followers of Jesus. Of course, a prophetic word includes being comforted, but I don't want to make you comfortable. I don't think we should try to be comfortable these days. I hope to encourage you to be stronger, more resilient, more mature, and more like Jesus. And what are the qualities that Jesus has that we are to grow into? I made a little list myself here. Fearless, hopeful, compassionate, selfless, loving. And of course, we need to keep God's definition of what love is. Love is a word of action focused on meeting the needs of others, seeing a need and meeting that need. Jesus also was one with the Father, and God wants us to increase in our spiritual unity with him living by the Spirit, living by faith, and an increased realization of our complete dependence upon Him. So much of the world is being shaken, so many of our plans are having to change. Many people are driven by the fear of death, the fear of the unknown. Well, I am continually reminded that the Lord wants us to always look ahead. I hope that the world does not go back to the way it was. I don't ever want to go back. Remember the story of when some people came to Jesus and said they wanted to follow him, but they needed to go do a few other things first. And he said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for service in the kingdom. And I want to be fit for service in the kingdom. I can't be looking back. I don't want to go back. And I don't want you, listener, to go back to the way you were. God is allowing things to be shaken so that we will grow up, we'll become more mature, so that we'll understand his character better. God will use these challenging times to reveal more and more of his character. He'll use these times to build our faith. Our God is a redeemer. He brings order from chaos. He redeems what is lost. He brings life from death. So let's trust in him and continue to surrender our lives for his sake. Remember, one of the core things that Jesus taught he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. That is one of the basic teachings of Jesus. He didn't come to bring words that are like um, a hallmark greeting card. He came to speak the truth, the hard truth that flies in the face of the way that we think the world is. The world tells us to try to find our lives, to try to find meaning, to save our lives, to make sense of things. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way. If a human being 
tries to find their own way, they're going to be lost. But if we lose our life, if we let go of our lives for him, then we're going to find that life. That's the only way. If we try to save our lives, then we will lose them. But if we lose our lives, set them aside for Jesus, then he promises to give us even more life, better life, abundant life, eternal life. In times of testing, there's a great temptation to try to save our lives, to regain what we had before and the things upon which we depended before, to get those back, to go back to the way it was. And yet, if we depend on anything other than the Lord himself, then it's his kindness to allow our lives to be shaken, to remove all that is not eternal. It's good for him to do that, so that we'll stand on a rock and not put our hope in things that are not eternal. Now, this can be a very difficult process, and actually it will be very hard In Hebrews, it says, no discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful. Afterwards, however, there is a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by these hardships. So it's tough. There's a death to self involved, and death always hurts. Death to self always hurts. If it doesn't hurt, it's not discipline. That's the way the Lord works. This reminds me of when I first moved to Russia. Now it's been almost 20 years. And when I came over to Russia, I was so far out of my comfort zone. I had uh, grown up in the state of Georgia, which is in the southern United States. I had been living in the state of Texas, which is also down south, where it's warm and sunny and hot. And then God moves me to a, a big city in Russia, I had never lived in the northern climates. I didn't know how to drive in snow. I didn't know how to walk on ice. I didn't know how to put on a scarf correctly. (laughs) There were a lot of things I had to learn. I was sent over as part of a team to establish and then direct a Russian charity that would help American Christians do a variety of kinds of work in St. Petersburg, mostly focusing on helping orphans. Well, I was so far out of my comfort zone. Um, I had some experience with being an entrepreneur, and I had been an administrator at a church in Texas. So here I was in some familiar areas of administration and, and entrepreneurship. But, my goodness, the Russian culture is so different. And, of course, when we step out in faith to do the things that God calls us to, we become targets. And things are hard, really hard. I face some really hard things. And what happened was I went through this cycle. Now I look back on it and I understand what was happening. I would come to the point where I just could not handle any more. The difficulties, the hardships, the confusion, the pressures were just too great. And I would, in my prayers, I would say, God, I can't take it anymore. I just can't take it anymore. And he would let it go on a little bit longer And then things would relax a little bit, and I'd get through that hard time. And then another wave would come. Hard things would happen, and I would say, God, I can't take it anymore. But I would get a little further down that road. And the way that I think about it now is, he would let me go about 10% past what I thought I could bear, and then he'd release the pressure. He'd allow it to 
release back. And then he'd allow the pressures to come again. And then I'd go a little further, but I'd just say, I can't go any further. He'd let me go another 10% beyond that. And then the pressures would release. And that went on for, well, it's been going on for 20 years now, for sure. And now I can easily bear what back then seemed to be unbearable. Of course, it was bearable because I'm here. But that's the way the Lord works sometimes in our lives. He lets us go to our limit and then go beyond our limit because he knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows how strong we can be when his spirit is at work in us. Parents will understand this. We know how well our children can do. They don't know their limits or their strengths. They don't know those things. They think they do. We know that they can do so much better. There's so much ahead for them. And God knows this about you. If you've been stretched to the limit, relax and let him stretch you a little more. (laughs) It's up to him when the pressures release. His work is so that you will become more like Jesus. Jesus is the only person who fought sin and never lost. Jesus knows the full power of sin because he defeated sin. And that power that is the power of Christ is also that same power that's at work in us. And the Bible says that's the same strength that raised Jesus from the dead. The way that we find out about this is we go into times of testing, allowing the Lord to stretch us and strengthen us himself. Well, now this reminds me of the story of the sower and the seed, and this is from Matthew chapter 13. It's familiar, but I think I'll take a little time to read it. It says that Jesus told them many things in parables, and here's one of them. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, and they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. That's what the Lord said. So just remember, there are these seeds and they fall on various places. Jesus talks a little bit more uh, with his disciples and then he says a bit later, listen then to what this parable means. Anyone who hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. Remember the path is so hard trod down the seed just sits there. It doesn't take any root at all. It, it can't because the ground is so hard. And I've known people like this. I've also known of situations where there are spirits that will come to steal, snatch away what was sown in someone's heart. The next kind of seed. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, 
and make it unfruitful. But the one who received that seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it, and he produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So let's just look at this. As we go through times of trouble, let's look at the things that will choke out our fruitfulness. Trouble or persecution because of the word, that can make people fall away, quickly fall away. But the one that I'll focus on here most is seed that fell among thorns. And a lot of us are in those circumstances. There are a lot of thorns around us. And what chokes out the seed, what makes it unfruitful? The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. Those two things will just choke out our faith and make us unfruitful. And we've got to fight against that especially now when things are being challenged and we want to cling to the wealth that we had or the life that we had before or just the worries of life. Amen. The worries of life will choke us out and make us unfruitful. I've been under that temptation personally recently. There's so many things to think about, so many things that are unknown, that my mind is just occupied pondering those things. And the Lord is saying, come back to me. Turn your mind to me. Turn away from those worries of life and come to me. I was speaking with a friend yesterday who's facing a very, very hard time, and a week from now is going to have a a tremendous change in his life, and he knows that it's coming. And he doesn't know what's on the other side of that doorway that he's got to go through. He doesn't know. And Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I was encouraging my friend, don't worry about next week. The Lord says, don't even worry about tomorrow. This is how the worries of this life can choke us out, make us unfruitful, bind us up. Fear will bind us up. We don't know what the future is, but the Lord knows. There's a scripture that says, God has prepared good work in advance for you to do. Your good work is not behind you. You've got good work ahead. We may not know it, but the Lord knows it. He's prepared good work for us to do. In Luke chapter 8, we also have a recording of the same parable. And rather than using the word unfruitful, in Luke it says this seed does not become mature. And that's a big issue right now. God is wanting us to grow up. He's wanting us to toughen up in the Spirit and be strong in the Spirit. If we concern ourselves with the things of this world, fighting to preserve what we're losing, then we run a great risk of our faith being choked out. Do you feel fear at the idea that you might lose the life you've had up until now? Well, that may be a very useful fear, indicating that your heart is where your wealth has been, on earth rather than in the Lord. But you know, you will lose everything you have on this earth at some point. You must let it all go at some point, either now or in the future. And this will be a topic of a future talk of mine, how good it is to be on our deathbed daily, to really let go regularly. I've also been thinking about Handel's Messiah. Many of you would be familiar with this music, and particularly the Hallelujah Chorus. It's very often sung at Christmas time. It's an orchestral piece 
with a choir that's full of worship and praise, and many people think of it as a beautiful expression of worship. But do you know the setting for it, where Handel got the text for the singing? The text is from the book of Revelation, chapters 11 and 19. And what is happening in those places in the book of Revelation? Well, God's judgment is falling on the world. The world system is collapsing. And in the scriptures, it's referred to as Babylon, the harlot, and different people have different perspectives on what exactly that is. But it clearly is a corrupt world system that God is judging and bringing to an end. And it affects commerce and religious life. It affects the globe. And as this judgment is coming upon Babylon... The angels and the elders and a great multitude of people are worshiping the Lord because he is setting things right. And I want to take a little bit of time to look through where Handel got this text. Let's first look at Revelation. Well, we'll start in Revelation 18. And that's where we see an angel calling out, coming down from heaven, saying, Fallen is Babylon the great. And there are a few things about Babylon the Great that we see here in chapter 18. She has become a home for demons, for evil spirits. And all of the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. So here we see kings and merchants. So these are political and economic systems or people that are involved in those things. And then there's a voice from heaven calls out, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. That's God's call to us. Come out of that system. In previous talks, I talked about how different the kingdom of this world is from the kingdom of God. It's completely different. And God is saying, come out of that worldly kingdom. Come out of that worldly system. Come out so that you don't share in her sins. Come out so that you won't receive any of these plagues. A little bit further down, we see that Babylon has glory and luxury that she gave to herself. Glory and luxury. The kings of the earth commit adultery and share in the luxury of Babylon. There's an interesting section there a little bit later in uh, chapter 18. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo anymore. I was thinking about shiploads of crude oil that are parked out in the oceans right now. Nobody's buying that cargo. And there's a list here in Revelation 18 of what these cargoes are. Gold, silver, stones, pearls, fine fabrics, scarlet cloth. And look at the last thing in this list, the bodies and souls of men the things that the merchants of this earth have been dealing in, the bodies and the souls of men, they're going to weep over the loss of Babylon. So kings who have shared in the luxuries and adulteries of Babylon, merchants who have made tremendous amounts of money in this system, when it falls apart, they're going to be weeping and mourning. And then what does God say in verse 20? Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. Isn't that something? Kings and merchants will be weeping, 
And God is telling his people, rejoice. Another thing that's mentioned about Babylon, it says, by your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. And now we come to Revelation chapter 19. And after this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven. Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned that great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! And now we come to the text for Handel's Messiah. Verse 6, And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And a little bit further in verse 15 is the text that Handel used for the Hallelujah Chorus. Let me go back a little bit further in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. And this is what Handel's Messiah sings so much of. King of kings... And Lord of Lords. Another scripture that Handel used for the Hallelujah chorus is from Revelation chapter 11. This is when the seventh seal is opened, and the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, and there are voices from heaven which say, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So the reason I take some time with this is to point out that the people of God are rejoicing when the world systems are collapsing. And honestly, would I sing for joy as the world systems come crashing down? Now is the time for us to ponder these things and to see creation as God sees it. His ways are not our ways. His kingdom is completely different from the kingdom of this world. We need to continually repent And as I've said before, that word repent in Greek is metanoia, to have a new mind. We need to allow our minds to be renewed by God constantly. And now is a time, this time of shaking and testing, when we can really enter into that. It's a great opportunity to let go of things that are being shaken, and then our hands are free to embrace what God has for us. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers In chapter 4 of that letter, he said, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I'll point out again, here's the word deceitful. Jesus says that riches are deceitful and they'll make us unfruitful, immature. Paul says that desires, our desires for things, are deceitful. They lie to us. It's not true, the things that we desire in our flesh. We need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Oh God, give us the gift of repentance, please. We need to put on that new self. We need to take on that mantle, that robe that God gives us. And we're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness is right acts. We are created to be like God in acting rightly all the time and in holiness to be set apart for good things and right things and sacred things. And this is the work that God will do in our hearts if we allow him, if we allow him to do that work, if we will be good soil and let him do what he's going to do. He can decide if I'll have a harvest of a hundred times or sixty times or thirty times, that's up to him. I just want to have good soil. The work that God is doing in our hearts, if we'll allow him, is the renewing of our minds, giving us a new self, making us more and more like him in good works and in purity of purpose. So I encourage you, do not chase after comfort. Don't try to be comfortable. Don't even set that as a goal. Flee from it. Turn to the Lord. He will give you what you need when you need it. Every good and perfect gift comes from our Heavenly Father. He alone is the source of life. I think of Thessalonians chapter 3, something that Paul wrote to that church that he loved so much. He said, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So until next time, I pray that the Lord will continue to reveal his will and his ways to you because his ways are good and his pathways always bring peace to the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.